We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about money, investing, and more. Don't be shy. This is uh, you know, a show dedicated to you. I was listening to my show yesterday, and I heard a commercial where it was talking about real estate as an investment. I'm like, who's stupid enough to say real estate's an investment? And I was shocked. Because real estate's a liability until it becomes an asset later when you build equity. But initially, you owe money. And if you lose your job, they take it away from you. So I'm still shocked that we live in a world where people don't grasp something as simple as real estate's a liability and not an asset. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Money investing and more. Um we can keep talking about you know ideas and concepts like that. We can go a little bit more powerful if you want. We can talk about what's going on in the stock market. Um, the stock market's had an interesting week. Up, down, down, up. And then where are we going to be today? A little rebound action shows once again that the stock market relishes the idea of rates remaining low for a while. So Thursday had the same silly perspective of bad news is good news at its roots. Uh, weak retail sales data, but the weak retail sales data. Every now and then I say retail, not retail. What's up, Wabbit? You wascal. Um. So yesterday we had some reek. <laughs> now I said reek. Weak retail numbers. Who got one hour of sleep? Um. But the internet sales were pretty good. So you look at the numbers and you're like, well, maybe that was just it was cold and people don't like going out shopping anymore. I'm in that camp. The Burry PPI report released this morning helped the case that the Federal Reserve should not be in a hurry to raise Fed fund rates. Showed a surprising one half of 1% decline in the index for final demand and a similar one half of 1% decline in the core producer prices. The decline in February was driven primarily by a one-half of 1% decrease in the index for final demand services. So here's what we got. We don't have a strong economy or some of our month-by-month data is coming out weak. 
No, I think it's fair we don't have a strong economy. We don't have a weak economy. We've got an okay economy. But more and more talk is, you know, this 5.5% unemployment, is that really a good number, or is that people who are working in jobs under their, their skill level and under their pay desires? The 50-day simple moving average on the S&P 500 is going to be a support zone. Russia's, uh, that, for the record, that's about 2057. So 50-day moving averages are important. 200-day uh, moving averages are important. One of the things I tell investors or traders is take a look at your scenario. What's that mean? If you're buying a mutual fund for 30 years, take a look at the last 30 years of that mutual fund, or as long as the data goes back. If you're buying an index fund or stock, take a look at the history. of. If you want to be in it a year, take a look at the last year and see what can happen. We'll give you a pretty good idea. Um, other stories of note out there today. Um, everyone's favorite Fed dove, Chicago Fed President Evans. He's speaking this morning, so because he's dovish and there's people who are dovish and people who are hawkish on inflation expectations, we do pay attention to the ones who stand out. Um, but I, I'm not seeing anything out there today that like is jump up and down surprising or shocking. Money investing and more. Let's see what we have as far as market data. Um, Come up that time. So, um, got a little bit of a slowdown there. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Um, taking a look at the overall market stories. Crude oil struggles to remain above $46 a barrel. Biotechs are outperforming. Biotechs are great. How drunk is the market at this point in time indicator? And I throw that out there not to, you know, be rude, but it does give us a pretty good perspective on what risk levels people are willing to take. Um, because biotech companies, they're working on the cure for cancer, the cure for impotence, the cure for hair on your head, or growing hair back on your head. They should have a couple other cures out there working. And if they have it, it's a home run. If they don't, it's kind of a strikeout. Um, S&P 500 is down 11, the Dow is down 128, the NASDAQ down 14, 10-year treasury sits at 2.13%, gold at 1156, crude oil at 46. Yeah, oil and gold have had a bad week, and the 10-year treasury, it's, it's been rallying. It had the biggest five-day move in quite a while recently, uh, telling you that expectations were for an improving economy, and then today, not so much. Let's talk about that 10-year treasury with Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. Good. So um, what are you seeing with that 10-year treasury? What's it doing to your rate sheet, per se? Rate sheet, being a guy who lends money to people, wants to buy houses, a lot of that's pegged the 10-year treasury. What's well, volatile. I think that's the the best word I could use to describe it. Uh, last week, we... Are rates volatile, too, right now, short term? Yeah. Okay. I mean, if you can pretty much map the 30-year fixed rate right on top of the 10-year yield. Uh, the yield is... Um, when it goes up, rates go up. And when the yield goes up now, it's because of expectations that the Fed is going to increase rates later down the, you know, probably June, maybe August, uh, based on the fact the economy is doing better. And that's a trigger for investors. And they have to increase yields in order to keep attracting that money. So ultimately, the Fed raising interest rates kind of trickles down into mortgage interest rates. So that's why we're kind of watching that 10-year yield. 
Okay. And it, it it's a pricing um, mechanism for us. Uh, you could see your 4% rate. I mean, right now, Freddie Mac has the 30-year fixed at 3.86%. And that comes with a cost, and that cost can change based on that 10-year yield. So, yes, we're watching it. Um, we do expect it to trend up uh, based on, you know, what the Fed's going to say every week, every month. One of the things I'm kind of interested in is um, I'm surprised at how many people will walk into a bank and open up a mutual fund. I bank at Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, and I've, I see old guys walk in and go straight to the Merrill Lynch guy and go, hey, I want a Merrill Lynch fund. I'm like, those aren't very good funds. Like, I, I try to whisper to him without letting the sales guy know. Uh, and the guy who's sitting there, he doesn't know squad douche about what he's doing. Um, and your industry faces something kind of similar in the sense that Sometimes people go into a bank and say, hey, I want to get a mortgage. Probably not the best place to be looking for a mortgage. But also, it, it's got the super underqualified people um, at the banking lower-level positions. Um, agree or disagree? I agree for the most part. They don't have a lot of uh, experience with different scenarios because their lender may not use them. So they're only offering that certain scenario. I, I ran into a client the other day that said, oh, I'm going to get a, I got to get this arm because it was the only it was the highest qualifying loan amount for a purchase that this guy could get was an arm. So so you have a guy at a bank offering a first time home buyer a five year arm. And which doesn't make a lot of sense for this person who wants to keep this property for a long period of time. So I, I totally agree with that. Tony's an expert. He is on my quote unquote investment team in the sense that mortgages aren't investments, they're liabilities, but they do have to match up with your investments, and they do have to match up with the direction that you're going in the long term um, and your accumulation in other areas. You can find Tony. Email him at Tony at BayAreaLoanSource.com. It's Tony at BayAreaLoanSource.com. You have to have a financial team that really understands things, not selling your product. I'm Ron Black. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. I don't like real estate clubs because it turns into a lot of rah, 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 go real estate, go. Push them back, push them back, go lower stock market. It's, it's ridiculous. Real estate has to have stock market leading because real estate can't lead the economy. The economy has to lead the stock market. The stock market has to lead real estate. Revenue growth and earnings growth have to be there for you to get wage growth. Wage growth has to be there for someone to afford to buy the house that you paid less than you're, you're selling it for or to pay more than you're selling it for. I love the people that get on radio and television and say real estate's an investment because it really shows just how stupid they are. Like maybe an ex-soccer player or... You know, maybe next gymnast is out there going, real estate's great investment. You too should do what I do. And, but what he's not, his job isn't real estate. His job is selling mortgages. 
So with that said, Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. You, nice s- intro, you thank s- you. sell mortgages, right? I do. And I don't think that's, that's not in Well, I don't sell the mortgage. I sell the this relationship with the banker. Yes. Um, I don't think that is in and of itself bad. I just, you also don't go out there and tell people, like, this is going to go great for you. And you, you want to jump in on this opportunity and, oh, by the way, if you have a brother, maybe he can... Uh, One of the things me. that you taught me many years ago was um, let the, the mechanic fix my car. Let the painter paint my house. Let your mortgage guy do your mortgage. Let your realtor do your real estate transaction. I don't think a mortgage professional should get into making just helping people make decisions on what kind of investment they should buy. They should. I think that the investor, the buyer, should be the person doing their due diligence and getting proper advice through their channels, whether it's a realtor or their CFP or... You know, maybe they're just experienced at, at buying real estate and they already know what to do. But let's get the right mortgage for that 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 person. Um, and that's ultimately the the per- reason why this person got into the re- into the, the business to begin with, the, the mortgage guy. And they have a good relationship with their lender and they have a certain amount of products. But you know, making decisions for people's future. On well, the last real estate the last real estate crash in two thousand six was basically brought on by lenders. As well as real estate agents, you know what happened. You know, telling what, people this is going to be a great investment, and they ran out of yeah. rich, they ran out of wealthy people to tell <laughs> to. Then they went to the middle class, yep. and they told all their friends, and then suddenly it was the lower class loans and the, the lender, subprime, and the banks created products that could be catered to the, the not rich people, and they were pumping this to mortgage professionals, saying this is how you make three, four, five points. On a a $500,000 loan, that's $25,000. No one needs to make that much money. I mean, you're making more than the realtor in that situation. There's no reason to make that much money, but the lenders were coming to mortgage offices and and doing those rallies that you were talking about. Go, go, go. Sell this loan. And this is how you make money. And they were doing that over and over and over and pumping it to the public. Um, Those days are gone. Um, But that still shows you that the the realtor, those are the mortgage people that, that are still out there today. They're, they've built a relationship with the lender. Let them do their job. You go out and find the right ways to make your decisions on investments. Yeah, I'd be really cautious with real estate clubs because real estate clubs will make relationships with like apartment buildings in Dallas, and then that whole real estate club will get pitched an apartment building in Dallas, having never been to Dallas, not knowing the real estate laws in Dallas. Um, I feel bad for the mortgage guy because eventually he's going to get a bad name from being associated with somebody that's pulling them into those kind of clubs. And if it's the mortgage guy that's doing it, I feel bad for the realtor or the broker. So, you know, the biggest issue or one of the biggest emails I get on financial issues, people want to keep their credit score high or get it high. And I'm like, you buy a house, you buy a car? No. It's It fascinates me. Did you know that when you get a mortgage, your credit score takes a dip in the short term? Yeah, and, and then why, it goes up. Yep. Yeah. And why is that? It's a it's a new entry on your um, on your credit, and that has about a I think it's a ten or thirty no it's a thirty percent hit on your credit or if it affects thirty percent of it. And it's a baby at that point in time. Yeah. You have a new loan that basically is one month old, mm-hmm. and when that new loan is suddenly twelve months old and you've been servicing it or twenty four or thirty six or two years or four years or eight years or ten years, then it's become a more mature product and Suddenly, you're getting credit for it, and it's it's improving your credit. So, yeah. I've had people get new credit cards, new cars. Um, 
after they put their contract into buy a, a property and their credit scores go down. They think that they need a new car to move all their stuff to the new house, something like that. Chad said something fascinating to me recently, how Washington and Oregon, one state doesn't have a sales tax. And everyone from the other state on the other side of the river knows people with a big truck. And you tell them, hey, let's go to Costco across the river, pay no sales tax, and bring all the stuff back. Or let's go get a couch across the river and bring it right back. So the Costco that hedges the st- is, that's on the state with no sales tax gets business from two states for obvious reasons. People aren't stupid. So um, make sure your payments are on time. Mortgage payments, oof. Uh, they do differ, right? How do they differ, a mortgage payment from a credit card payment? Are they are they classified in any Once installment, once a, well, really you have a mortgage, um, the way it classifies on the credit report. Uh, then you have installment and then you have revolving, credit cards revolving. Okay. Installments like a car loan. And then you have your mortgage. A mortgage is in its own little category, and it comes as a separate line as your total debt. You've seen that on your credit karma sure. that you have. Um, and uh, it is heavily weighed. When you miss a mortgage payment, it, it, it's a big one. Gotcha. One of the funnier memories that I have with credit in my life, when I was, when I was 18, 19, I was probably in love with a girl. And I remember going into my bank and asking for a loan. I can buy her a piece of jewelry. Like, what a fool you were. Oh, no, no. What a fool <laughs> they were. Why would someone give me oh, yes. $3,000, $4,000 when you're 18 to 19 years old? I had pimples that were the size of small babies. Like, that should be the qualifier to say, no, you don't qualify for this. There's a good chance you're going to be eating pizza and drinking beer tonight and, and talking about how much you hate work and not going tomorrow. And then your friend's talking to go in Atlantic City. Six hours later, you drive there. You gamble for 18 hours, and suddenly the money that you got for a ring is gone. You go home, and your woman dumps you, and you now no longer have a ring. Now you no longer have a woman. But you have a payment. But you do have a payment. Those don't go away. <laughs> With that said. You're building credit, though. That's something <laughs> that a lot of people, when they're younger, they, they don't do a lot of is build credit. I didn't know about credit until I was probably like 28 years old. And the only time I knew about credit is when... I, I, uh, I wrote a check, and then the, 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 my bank was switching from one bank to another, okay. and the check didn't have a place to go. So they, 7-Eleven dinged me um, for, for that on my credit, so then I had to fix it. That's the first time I learned about credit. People need to start early as far as I'm all about, credit. I'm all about parents getting a credit card for their kid with a secure credit card. Secure credit card only. I think that's a great way to start credit. Come on, I'm going to be speaking with Cole Stangler. International Business Times about the unemployment report six years after the Great Recession. Are the good jobs ever going to come back? Or are we going to be stuck with these Walmart and Polo Loco kind of jobs to go work at? I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Yeah.
I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investor, investing more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. Joining me now, Cole Stangler, staff writer for the International Business Times. Cole, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do for the IBT. Thanks for having me on. I cover labor in the workplace for IB Times, so looking at kind of broad trends in the labor market, um, issues related to, to workers in the workforce. Just a casual glance at CNBC and Bloomberg Television recently and some of the financial articles that are floating around there out there. There's commentary that, you know, the employment report looks good, but the real picture, not so good with wage growth, not so good with career the jobs that are being created are low-paying jobs, like uh, fulfillment at Amazon versus management in media. Um, you've recently written an article, and I'm kind of rambling on, so I should just be quiet and listen to you. But you've recently written an article for the International Business Times talking about this phenomenon. Uh, why did you approach this angle? I mean, there's there's a lot of optimism right now. If you listen to some policymakers, and I was on a, a call recently with Business Roundtable, which is a big corporate lobby group talking about how this is an excellent time to be in the job market. Um, things are really improving. We've turned the corner. Um, and it's true, actually, from a pure numbers perspective that, that that's, that's technically correct. So we've actually replaced the jobs that we've lost since the recession five years ago, actually added some more jobs. And so most states have, have already have already recovered that and added some more jobs. Um, but if you look a little deeper, and so if you just put aside the, the pure numbers, um, if you look at the, the quality of the jobs, it's pretty clear that the jobs that have come back um, tend to be in concentrated and low-wage sectors, and so we're talking mostly about jobs in the service sector, jobs in retail. And so kind of the, the gold standard here for, for reporting on this is the National Employment Law Project has, has looked at this question, um, and they found that, um, um, that 78% of the jobs lost during recession were middle to high wage, um, but they only count for 57% of growth since, since then during the recovery. By contrast, about half those jobs that have come back, employment growth since the recession, are in retail and fast food, which is which is which is pretty shocking. Low-wage sectors like retail and fast food. So they've they've kind of crunched the numbers on that. But but today, I mean, it's it's obvious right now. If you're looking for jobs, if you're looking for a job, um, it's a lot easier to find one in in one of these low-paying sectors. So the question is whether or not this is a a permanent change, and that's something that 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 people are starting to to question in a in a serious way. I think. So. Someone that I work with in radio has recently left the radio station in the San Francisco area, and he's moved to Portland, cost of living. A little bit of the go west young man, dust bowl mentality of if there's not jobs or food here, that's enough. I better go somewhere else. Yeah. Did, you, did you see any of that in your reporting for this piece? So it, it is true that not all the jobs that we've seen growth in in the last few years have been low wage. It's certainly not true. So one bright spot, for instance, has been the tech sector, um, which is something you guys know know very well. Yes. Um, and so if you can manage to, to, to get yourself to one of these hubs to find a job in tech um, and, and, and get lucky that way, that's, that's possible. You can, you can find a job there. At the same time, I think that it, that, possibility gets overstated. And so, for instance, I was mentioning that, that call I was on last week with Business Roundtable, the corporate lobby, you know, and he said, this is excellent time to be, to be in the job market if you've got the right skills. And so there's this idea that, that there's a mismatch of skills, um, that if you have the right skills, you can, you can find the jobs. And, and really, people need to, to be 
or adequately trained, that those jobs are waiting for people. And that, I think, it just, just isn't true. Um, that, that there's not enough data to really support that. There's about 18 job seekers for every 10 jobs that are available right now. Um, and, and, and Paul Krugman has actually looked at this, looked at this question as well of, of the skills, the quote-unquote skills gap, um, and found that really if you look at education levels right now, um, unemployment doesn't really vary a whole lot among education levels, at least not, not any more than it usually does during normal economic, um, economic cycles. So to kind of circle back around to, to your original question, to some extent, if you're lucky enough to, 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 to get a job in tech and into one of these middle to high paid sectors, you can, but for most people, it's not really an option for most people. Um, just because they're, they're skilled and seemingly can, can find these jobs that they're not there. With that said, um, is there anything else in this article that you want to highlight? Again, I'm speaking with, um, a writer, which is kind of always fun to do a staffer with the international business times, um, about his recent article tied towards employment in America, which is a pretty big one. You know, employment drives the economy, economy drives the stock market. Uh, Cole Stangler, is there anything else in the article that you want to highlight? Yeah, I, th- I think the last thing I'll say is that there's this interesting debate sort of referenced in the title of the story, um, which is, are, are the good jobs coming back? And that's this question of, you know, five years you know, out of, of the recession, is this something that's a, a permanent change? And that's a really kind of depressing thought that, the U.S. could be undertaking some kind of broad structural shift towards a service-based low-wage economy. And that's, that's the, the kind of really haunting question. So most mainstream economists still say that's not really the case. You just have to give it some time. But I think the longer and longer we wait since the recession, past the recession, you know, if this is still the case in the next two, three years, I think we have some really serious questions that we need to start asking ourselves about, about the future of the economy and how to get higher wages. Thanks very much. It's Cole Stangler with the International Business Times. You can find him on Twitter at Cole Stangler. That's C-O-L-E-S-T-A-N-G-L-E-R. I'll put up his content on my Facebook page, on my Twitter page. And uh, you can also find him at ibtimes.com. And ibtimes, not a website that a lot of people in the Bay Area know, but it's one of those business rags that I think are really you know necessary if you want to get perspective. It's like The Economist. It may not be the easiest read. It may not have the sexiest articles about Lindsay Lohan, but it is important that you um, educate yourself a little bit more than what you see on CNBC or Bloomberg. Um, That is not a good way of going. 816-800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Tony Mendez is live in studio this morning. Tony, you've been in the Bay Area for about 10 years now. Have you seen any change in the quality of worker that we have out there or maybe the compensation? Because they're coming to you looking for a refi or looking for a loan. Has there been a dip in the middle class? Has there been I think that's kind of a hard question for me to answer because the way that the industry has changed um, in, you know, in 2005 and 6 and 7 and 8 even, I was seeing all walks of life uh, of people who were you know, working at grocery stores all the way to landscapers and and then, you know, tech engineers and, and so on. Now I just see the W-2 employees, the ones that are making, you know, qualifying numbers. Because back then we, you didn't need to actually make enough money to qualify. You qualified because they used starter rates and they had liar loans, you know, stated income. So without those two categories, I'm not really seeing 
the, the actual mix. So it's hard for me to answer that question because I'm only seeing qualified borrowers right now. Um, but, yes, I, I've seen more um, IT people, a lot more. Um, I'm seeing a lot more people in the medical industry, okay. a lot of nurses, a lot of doctors. Um, the, yes. the new Apple iPhone 6 has a link to a Stanford cardiac. No, the iWatch is going to have a, a link to a Stanford cardiac study. It's pretty impressive. Like um, A lot of people go, oh, who cares about that? It's going to come out with some of the biggest you know, data polls ever on people. Um, interesting if the insurance companies get involved in that so they can kind of track what you're actually doing. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of public debate on that, and I wouldn't panic quite yet. I wouldn't be a naysayer. I just won't get the watch. Okay. You're one of those, I'm not going to call you a tea party guy. <laughs> <laughs> no. That's such a mean thing to say. I could, I could call you like a, a woman hater, and tea party guy is more of a stigma. I mean, it... Puppy killer. It... it, it it's kind of unsettling that all I did was go on Google once and I was shopping for a dresser and now every single time I turn on my computer and go to a website, I see dresser ads can, all over my computer. Turn those, you can turn that off. No, but they're still there. I mean, they still gathered that data. Well, my ads that keep popping up are, do I want to date women over 40? <laughs> and something about sex toys. Like, what's that say about me? <laughs> yeah. I do get a lot of do you want to date women over 40 ads. I don't not quite understand that one. It's your watch. <laughs> I don't have a watch yet. So uh, in real estate news, Zillow could lose hundreds of thousands of listings April 7th, the judge decides. Zillow and Trulia could lose a huge amount of listing data, a judge is saying. The Zillow Group filed a restraining order last month against News Corp to keep List Hub listings on Trulia. News Corp owned List Hub. List Hub announced earlier this year that it would terminate its contract with Trulia 16 months early. Uh, it's wild to think about the the realtor's database, the varied this various database that can and can't be seen by people and the public on your on your property and or how it's marketed. The realtors they got a little bit of a racket. I'll be honest with you, and we need to diffuse that a little bit. This whole three percent to buy, three percent to sell your house um, costs need to come out of that, and it, and it will. And then when you tell or ask or suggest that there's other places that you can go and look for real estate. Um, they kind of freak out. You're kind of like, oh, you shouldn't go there. That's a bad place to go. You're going to get ripped off or you're not going to get the best price or something like that. Like Craigslist. Yeah. Or like your neighbors and say, hey, can I buy your house one day? I'd be careful about Craigslist. Um, as of course, think, yeah, you should be careful about everything. Yeah. Especially the, the MLS. Like, <laughs> there's a, a vested interest there in what you're seeing. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Anything that's on your financial mind, we can talk about. Don't be shy. Pick up the phone. Give us a call. 
800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Talking a little real estate today and mortgages and lending, but also talking stock markets. Um, taking a look at one of the big stories that's affecting stock market right now is 2015 profit forecast is to grow at just 1.7%. Oil and the dollar are the big concerns right now. Dollar's getting stronger, and that's going to hurt companies like Intel with their foreign exchange currency uh, conversions. Um, and oil, obviously, employs a lot of people. It'll be very nice for the middle class and lower class in the United States who drive for a living and or do a lot of driving. Uh, so it, there, there's kind of some plus and minus there. But again, cheap oil is not good for international countries that sell oil. And that can create some political instability. That can create some angst. That can create less travel. Um Crude holding them below $50 a barrel is also telling us that the economy is not rocking and rolling, or at least not the world economy. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Again, profit expectations have been getting more and more pessimistic. I think we'll, be, I think we'll have a nice year this year. I don't think we're due for a massive correction based on the just the fact that the U.S. economy and consumers should be able to hang in there. Um, but do we go up every week? No. Do we go up every month? No. So um, I think that would be unwise to think about it that way. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. I'm Tony at BayAreaLoanSource.com. If you have any questions or thoughts about real estate. Um, Mr. Mendez, a lot of volatility right now in the mortgage rates, especially on the shorter term. But 30-year mortgage... Not bad. I see that you had a weekly survey out of uh, Freddie Mac, 30-year fixed, 3.86%. That's a pretty great rate. Um, It may not be the greatest of the month or of the year, but it's pretty great. It is trending upwards. Um, There's a little bit of volatility in the bonds markets. That should be a little bit on the scary side. Um, The 15-year fixed rate, 3.1%, just up slightly. And the five-year arm, about 3%. Interesting to note that I've got friends who ask me, you know, hey, I've got an arm coming due. What do you think I should do? And I'm like, lock in the rate that you're comfortable with. And if you're comfortable with getting another three-year, that's fine. If you want to go with a 30-year, that's fine yeah. as well. That's a question I've been getting quite often. And, in fact, uh, over the last six months, I think it's every other phone call. Um, that's a tough one to, to really kind of uh, grasp because most of the people that are adjusting at this time are adjusting to super low rates. Uh, uh, an ARM, adjustable rate mortgage, works where you have an index that you're tied to, and then you have a margin. That margin is usually two and a quarter to two point seven five, and that never changes. But your index does, and right now indexes are super low. The, uh, and most people are tied to something called the, the one-year LIBOR, and that means that your your loan will adjust every year. So one, you know, this year, and then 2016, it'll adjust again to whatever the new index is. So if somebody adjusts today. And they have a two and a quarter margin. Their interest rate is going to be somewhere in the low threes because the the LIBOR is somewhere, you know, point six or point seven. So it's really tough for somebody that's sitting on it. And and these people are in like the five, six, seven hundred thousand dollar range. Some people in jumbos even have these types of rates. Um, and it's tough to sit there and go, you know, I should get a thirty year fix somewhere like four percent. You know, interest rate goes up, your payment payment goes up, and next thing you know, you have um, you, you know, you're fixing this in and you're trying to hedge it against, you know, future rate hikes. 
We just don't know how long it's going to take for those rate hikes to happen with indexes because the, these indexes are are tied to global economies. And we know the interest rates might go up here in the United States, the short-term Fed rates, but we don't know how indexes are going to go. So it's scaring a lot of people and confusing people on what to actually do. Sounds like we have a call. Gil in San Dimas, how are you? Hey, Rob. Good morning. Southern California calling again. Um, what part does an escrow company play in a real estate transaction? There's public service announcements that are on your radio about different fees and so on and so forth. And exactly what does a escrow company play in the real estate transaction and how do they make their money? Thanks for the call. Um, quite simply, they are the transaction coordinator. They're going to make sure that they f- they're going to follow lenders' instructions, whether you're purchasing or refinancing. Uh, those instructions could be anything for making sure that property taxes are, are paid and the uh, your homeowner's insurance, is, is uh, their policies are set to the correct standards uh, for the lender. But for the most of the part, they're, they're paying out to the, the seller uh, or to the bank and they're writing up all the numbers based on the instructions. They also write the policy that covers the the lender and your Alta policy. So they're writing the insurance policies that, that protect you and the lender um, that that title is clean, and that's probably their biggest uh, contribution to the transaction. But they're, nece- you know, they're a necessity, and they, they, they charge a fee based on your loan amount, based on what kind of transaction you're doing, how many people are involved. So it could be... A, um, several thousand dollars if you're doing a commercial type of transaction. It, you know, in a residential transaction here in the Bay Area or in San Dimas, it's probably close to you know thousand or fifteen hundred dollars on a regular purchase. Tra- uh, refi purchases a little bit more. One of the more interesting things to get back to was the commentary. It, I said, you know, a lot of people are contacting me about where do you see rates in the next year? And in the next three to five years, I see short-term rates higher. Um, I see mortgage rates higher if things are good and normal. If not, there's also consequences from that on the housing market. And no one knows the one year. You know, it's been an extraordinary dip back down to that 2% level in the 10 year uh, this year. Every year we look like we're going to 3%, eh, but we will at some point. You can find me online at robblack.com. You can email Tony, Tony at Bay Area Loan Source.com. Slip into smiling wild. 